Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Fast am I and welcome to Spotlight. I'm Sarah Hendy and on today's programme I visit Light, the themed art competition show at the Hodgson Loom Gallery and Morris Powell tells us about his upcoming talk on Manxland's King of Music, Harry Wood. Email me via spotlight at manxradio.com if you have any creative happenings you'd like to tell us about and you'll find links, listen again and our podcast on the Manx Radio website. We're at the Hodgson Loom Gallery at Laxey Woolen Mills first this evening where curator, artist Julia Ashby-Smythe and artist Neil Milsom talked us through some of the displays. The theme for this year's competition is light, and people have interpreted that in really exciting ways. Yep, there is 204 entries, 205 entries, um, and there's hardly a double up on representation of the theme. Uh, there's everything from light aircraft to lit fairy castles to dolphins like leaping out of water to lit up mushrooms, although they just have to come and see it because there's, there's so many interpretations of light, it's fantastic, it always is. The competition just is, with one word, theme, the amount of variation and diversity of medium and representation is fantastic. Are there any new creatives who um, you've come across this year who haven't exhibited before? There are a lot of new names. Uh, there's a few people that haven't entered that would I would normally expect to enter, but the, there's probably a good 20 or so new names of artists who I, I just have never come across before, and they're doing fantastic things. Amazing, whether it be felting, or whether it be um, 3D and acrylics or painting, it's across every dimension. And it's lovely to see all these people coming through and especially exhibiting in here as well. It's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, uh, and plenty of familiar names, as you said. Uh, Colleen Corlett has done some lovely glass work, at, uh, you know, next to an acrylic painting and a, um, a, a suspended installation as well. It really does. It, I mean, that's a, the perfect point to sort of uh, showcase exactly how diverse this range of works are. You've entered yourself this year as well. You've um, you know, many well-known names, including you. And it's a lovely, it's a lovely piece. It's the suspended piece with um, with lots of found objects, but they all kind of uh, surround this this little book you've made. Well, seeing as there wasn't any wall space left for me to actually do a picture, mm-hmm. normally my, it's a pictorial depiction of words that I'm thinking about. So this time I've written the words, and you'll have to make the pictures yourself. But the device in which to suspend the book is yeah it is made up of feathers and things and stuff that have appeared along the way um that i just collect because i'm a hoarder yeah so if you find any dead bird skulls you know where to bring them <laughs> i'll remember that um what's what's inside the book are you able to reveal that it's um it's called a song in the darkness and so it's a song in the darkness yeah so well, yeah. Yeah. yeah come and read it 
something that really caught my attention was this lovely, it's like a light box with what looks like from a distance a fluffy cloud on the top. But actually, they're sort of silicon underwater objects like um there's some like sort of sea urchin sort of type of things and coral um can you tell us anything about this piece it's so unusual i know it's made from silicon and it is it's a light um and so the the light shines through it in the most delightful way and it needs to be squashed and field field felt oh. yes that as <laughs> well but it's not made of felt it's by Pauline Berry, and it, it's called Animal Turf, and that's as much as I know. But yeah, come and come and have a look. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, and a feel, <laughs> look and a feel, um, because it also like when I got nearer to it, it looks like it's made out of porcelain. The way that the light comes through it, it's really ethereal. It's gorgeous, and I was quite afraid to touch it when you told me I needed to feel it. I was like, Are you sure? I feel like I'm going to damage this. But in fact, it's kind of like a rubbery, silicon, plasticky kind of feeling. And, uh, and it's quite safe to interact with. Um, and in terms of, uh, I mean, looking at other media, there's some gorgeous textile pieces. Are these like hand-woven, hand-knitted items? Yeah. It looks like raw wool, like untreated maybe? The, they are, it's natural wool, Manx wool, um, Lockton and Hebridean, and there's a few other Herdwicks possibly. Mm -hmm. And there's some hand-woven pieces, some hand Felted pieces, uh, the the woven pieces by Eric and Rosemary Tear, and the the fantastic woolly felty bowls are Sue Williams. Um, and and when I asked her what the name of her piece was, she said, "Not heavy." It's a stunning collection of work. The, it is a competition. So um, how does how does the competition work? Do people vote or? There are five judges, independent judges, and the five that I've got this year have never. Um, judge this particular competition. They come in independently, they're given a, a sheet and a map, and they each pick a first and second and third in each category. And then I get the sheets back and I add up those points for first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Yeah. Um, and then whatever the result is, is the result. There is also an overall um, judging in for the piece that both uh, for the piece that best depicts the theme or interprets the theme and then there is a public vote prize as well so come in and get your public vote whichever one you think is your favorite vote for that so there are seven categories in total and there is actually a standalone light category because we've got things that light up as well mm -hmm. so in amongst the 2D and the photographic and the children's and the um, ceramics and the textiles, and there is the, the specific light-up light category as well. Mm -hmm. wow. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, time to come along and take part. And people have till sort of early to mid-February to come and see this. Can you remind us of your opening hours if people want to drop by? Monday to Saturday, 10 till 5. Lovely, yeah. And, um, and there's also the hints and bits of information on your Facebook page as well. Yep, and I've just done an Instagram. Dinosaur oh has gosh. just entered the Instagram world. And so I'm trying to get myself to know how to do that. So I apologize for anything that I, I send out twice, possibly three times, and with no hashtags, but I'm working on it. <laughs> um, so the, yeah, we've got the Facebook page for Hodgson Loom Gallery, and we've got the Instagram and whatever else we can find to promote 
the exhibition, but it is such a fantastic exhibition. There is so many things to see, touch, poke, yeah. feel. Um, just come down and have a, have a wander around. Be enlightened. Neil Milsom, I understand that you agreed only to enter this competition if Julia Ashby Smythe also did. So we've seen her lovely suspended piece with all sorts of trinkets and that beautiful book she's made as well. And yours can only be described as completely opposite to that. It's, uh, it's a stunning piece. You've called it Spear of Darkness, Stealer of Light. What can you tell us about it? So it's a single uh, piece of sculpture made and quite the opposite to Julia's. Julia's is uh, beautiful and lots of lots of intricate pieces and this is pretty brutal and singular in its approach. It's uh, a single piece of slate cut, it's about two and a half feet long, uh, hand cut, hand polished into a spear and then on the background is a piece of lead that's cast with a small piece of light coming up through the base of it. So it's um, it's difficult. The two materials I tend to work in are stone and lead, which are not great for uh, interpreting the theme of light. So it was a difficult one. So I chose to go the opposite direction and approach it from a darkness point of view. This particular bit of stone, I've been looking around with me for 14, 15 years, wow. moved house with me, found it on a beach. Um, and I've always known I'd make something nice from it. Well, hopefully other people like it nice. I like it. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it just kind of, it went to the dark side, shall we say, mm -hmm. <laughs> just that totally, it's difficult to do light with those materials. And so I went dark. Um, it's a very black piece of slate, but there are colors in it if you look through it. Uh, as I say, hand cut and hand polished. Yeah. Well, it's impressive. And like you say, it's almost like a, it almost looks like a long straight tusk in shape, the piece of slate. And it's beautifully complemented by the, the wave of, uh, of lead behind it. Um, whereabouts did you find it? Because it's not the kind of thing you come across every day, like a great big lump of slate that you can carve into yeah. something so stunning. So I have a lot of slate from reclaiming my garden, but that particular piece, uh, it's either Balagany or Blue Point, somewhere up on the, on the northwest coast. Wow. Um, as I said, it was originally in Douglas with me when we lived there, but even when we moved house, I brought that with me. It's something I particularly like. And I knew it, ha it always has this, you can't quite hear it, I suppose, over the radio, but it has this note. It's almost like it's tuned. Yeah, yeah you can almost hear that. It's uh, very subtle, but it does its... Um, like you say, there are, there are all sorts of colours running through it. Yeah, it's it's just gorgeous. And it's I think it's really wonderful when you're presented with something so striking and so simple in many ways that you can see all of the, the subtler detail in the material. What is it about slate that you love working with? Because when it comes to working with stone, you've got quite a good choice. And um, it's interesting that you've decided to focus on slate particularly. I like it because it's a local material, um, but it's also extremely challenging. So for every piece you make, there's another one that you don't make. Um, you, you drill into it and you polish it and all of a sudden you end up with flakes in your hand and not much more. And over the few years that I've been doing it, you've learned to, there's a couple of tricks to the trade. And the first one is um, where how you're going to mount it. Decide on that first because it's sure as eggs as eggs. The last thing you'll do is drill a hole in the piece to mount it and that'll be the one that blows it apart. So mm -hmm. start start at the end and work backwards I think is the key to it. But it's a lovely material to work with. And I think uh, you know it, it's it's underrated. People see it as the roof of their house and nothing more but it's it's full of colour. Mm -hmm. And the, the texture can be as rough as you like or that which is silky silky smooth. 
Yeah, it, is. it almost feels like marble, doesn't it? And uh, like you say, we're, we're only used to seeing slate and it's kind of raw um, state and it's kind of, it has that almost like sparkly quality. It's a very light gray, it's sort of silvery, um, micery to look at. And, and what you've got here is it from distance looks completely black. Um, and the, I mean, the shape's interesting. What were you trying to, to tell us with the shapes you've chosen with this spear through the middle and this little wave behind it? I think it would have been very easy just to go with any old dark. If you're going to go the other way and not use light to go with darkness, any piece of stone can be made to look dark. But it's about um, potentially almost like a weapon that's stealing light from person or persons or animals or something that's alive. It's a weapon and it's stealing light. And so I wanted it to be that dark. Um, that was my way of interpreting the light side of the exhibition. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's very peaceful looking, but it's also got sort of that slightly threatening feel Absolutely. about it, especially being called Spear. Um, we've we've seen a lot of your work around over the last few years. What can we look forward to? Are you taking part maybe in the um, the Creative Networks Art Festival this year, or um, any exhibitions coming up? Or? I hope to. Yeah, in, in the Creative Network again, probably exhibit here. It's a great venue, the Hodgson Loom Gallery, fantastic place, really supportive of local artists as well. Um, and I think, I think probably another exhibition around 2020, towards the end of 2020, yeah, yeah. which would be good fun. Hopefully, again, probably lots of dark pieces. Cause, mm-hmm. yeah, there's lots, lots, to be, lots to be done around that. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, dark light, two sides of the same coin. So it's a really lovely interpretation. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. Um, just to remind us of your website, if people would like to look at more of your work, of course, people will find a photograph of this particular piece on the Spotlight blog at manxradio.com. But also, um, you've got such a variety of work and, yeah, such diverse range. Uh, remind us where we can find that. It's www.neilmilson.com or the Facebook page. Just find me on Facebook. And I've recently, like Julia, started messing around with Instagram. So there's a couple of bits and pieces there. to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Now we're joined by Morris Powell of Thursday Night's A Little Light Music. Morris Powell, Happy New Year to you. Lovely to have you back on Spotlight. And to you, thanks for inviting me on the show. Um, well, we're here because you're you're doing a talk this weekend, which we think our Spotlight listeners are bound to find rather interesting. Well, I certainly hope so. Um, this the, the talk is is called uh, Manxland's King of Music. Um, it's the the life of the, um, the the musical director of the Palace and Derby Castle Company, Harry Wood, a name that's not um, as well known as it should be. Um, he was the elder brother of the composer Hayden Wood, who, of course, is very well known. He wrote Roses of Picardy and, and a lot of orchestral pieces based on Manx traditional tunes. But Harry Wood uh, lived on the island for 50 years till his death in 1938 and uh, he was basically into everything to do with the musical entertainment on the island during what we now recognise as a kind of the golden age. This was the time when all the great variety stars, the music hall stars, the concert artists such as as Nellie Melba and uh, great singers like that, Paul Robeson, John McCormack, all these people came to the island uh, during the summer seasons to entertain the visitors and that was the time when of course we had record numbers of uh, of visitors here every summer 
nevertheless from nevertheless from between sort of five hundred and six hundred thousand um, it was a great time and Harry Wood is a very useful guide to this period uh, so I've devised um, a, a talk illustrated with as many photographs as I could find from the archives and I'm hoping uh, anybody that's interested in this aspect of the island's history uh, will come along and uh, and find it interesting because it's a rich part of our history that never gets old, really, isn't it? A beautiful nostalgia trip, but also uh, so interesting to find out about Harry Wood, who, as you say, wasn't as well known as, as his younger brother. But they were they were a very musical family. They were involved in music from quite a young age. They were. They came from Slaithwaite, um, just south of Huddersfield in uh, West Yorkshire. And the whole family was musical there. Their father, Clement, was conductor of the local Reed and Brass Band, which eventually became the Slaithwaite Brass Band, quite a famous band still in that area. And, of course, they were just south of, uh, of Huddersfield, where the Choral Society was. Young Harry Wood, as a, as a young uh, violinist in his early teens, was good enough to actually play in the Theatre Royal Huddersfield in the, in the, in the pits and actually led the orchestra. Um, but he was invited here um, to play at the Falcon Cliff Pavilion, which is sadly no longer graces the, uh, the skyline of uh, Douglas Bay as it used to. He played a, a virtuoso violin piece here in the summer of 1884 and the next year was invited back to play with the orchestra and then the next year was appointed uh, um, and uh, again to play with the orchestra for the whole summer season by which time the whole family had moved here. The parents ran a pub on the North Quay, the Black Lion, which has uh, been swept away with so much uh, else there that was interesting on the uh, old North Quay. Um, the rest is history. Hayden, Young Hayden Wood himself was three years old when they came here, he took violin lessons from Harry Wood and eventually went to the Royal College of Music and became a virtuoso violinist and composer. The rest is history as far as he's concerned. He became very well known indeed. But the whole family, Harry was here full time, of course, but the other brothers, Hayden, of course, is mentioned. Daniel Wood was a very fine flute player, played with the London Symphony Orchestra and the King's Private Band, very accomplished player. They came back to the island frequently and joined in the concerts and gave recitals. Um, so there was a strong connection with the Wood, uh, with the Wood family. But the, the whole point of the talk is, is really to see, uh, to have a look at this whole era as far as the entertainment was concerned. Because Harry Wood, I mean, one day he'd be, uh, he'd be conducting for Florrie Ford and the next day it could be a great classical singer such as um, Kirk Milan or one of these famous contraltos. And then he was involved in the Guild, he was involved in lots of the choral societies, he wrote pantomimes here for the winter season, um, he inaugurated or helped inaugurate the famous Sunday sacred concerts, uh, the Celtic concerts. Um, and, I mean, he was, the, you know, the, the go-to man, really, um, for music in many ways on the island. A very interesting character. What was it about him that made you particularly interested in learning more? Because, I mean, you're clearly very knowledgeable on his work and his life. Well, of course, I got to hear about him through... through the better-known brother, Hayden Wood. And um, when I started to do a little bit of research into him, um, the name Harry Wood kept on turning up. And uh, when I was writing a book 
well, three or four years ago now, about the story of the Isle of Man Symphony Orchestra. Um, again, the name Harry Wood kept on cropping up. So I thought, well, I've got to put this to one side, finish what I'm doing, and then go back and have a look. Now, once I started going into the newspaper archives, from the mid-80s onwards, Harry Wood's name appears in virtually every edition. He's never out of the papers. So I began to think, well, this is a really important guy. So this is one of these little threads which you, which you uh, well, you learn not to pull, really. <laughs> but I kept on pulling. And, of course, that, that gave me links to the Falcon Cliff, the Derby Castle, the Palace Ballroom, when they all amalgamated, of course, and became the Palace and Derby Castle Company, the Villa Marina... And links, then, as I said, to the to the music festival, to all sorts of things, and I, I found out that he was a really a key person. He was he was five foot nothing. He was always slightly portly and a bit jowly. Had a twinkle in his eye, as all the photographs show. He was a very amiable, very well liked man, and uh, there, there wasn't anything he wouldn't do. If even the smallest church concert anywhere wanted a little orchestra for their bazaar or for their American tea or whatever, bring them by sale, Harry Wood would fix something. Um, he was an enormously popular guy and sorely missed. And um, in fact, when the, um, when the entertainment industry started up again after World War II, he was gone, of course, by then. And there never was an overall supremo a musical supremo for the Palace and Derby Castle Company. It then became the era of the big dance bands, Joe Loss, Ivy Benson, people like that. It was all rather different. But before the war, Harry Wood was in charge of the music for all these big venues, the dance music and the classical concerts. And he had a huge personal music library and a, a living sister who never married. Uh, she, I think she had time, really. She was too busy running his music library um, to help him organise the music for every season. He gave hundreds of concerts every year. Remarkable, energetic man. I wish I'd have met him. I'm sure, yes. And uh, and to hear these stories with uh, illustrated with the pictures you've pulled from the archive will be very special. Just remind us, where and when can we, can we see this talk? So the talk is uh, this coming Sunday, the 13th. Um, it's at the Manx Museum Lecture Theatre at two o'clock. It's free, um, although I believe the uh, museum would like people to... Um, signal their interest by just logging on and uh, and um, and uh, just saying that they'll be going so they make sure that uh, um, everything is ready um, and at three o'clock after the talk I'm hopefully going to be doing a book signing because uh, I've just had published a book called Manxland's King of Music, The Life and Times of Harry Wood, which covers all this period in a lot more detail um, than I can in, in, a, in a, a simple talk. So some of the pictures um, will, will also be in the book, but some have never been seen before. And uh, um, so, so two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, free lecture. I'm going to be there. Well, probably. Um, <laughs> and uh, I say a book signing afterwards and... Uh, I look forward to seeing as many uh, people as possible. I'm the 
ride a purtle murrah, I can reap and plough a furrow, I can find the gentle lugworm in the sand. I am up to all that's tricky in the sailing of a nicky, and I'm tall as not me equal in the land. I'm an able-bodied seaman and a troll, and I'm a demon. But outside the three-mile limit, understand. I am up both late and early, catching congas long and curly, and I'm tall as not me equal in the land. In the land, yes, in the land, for there's no one better able to command. I am up both late and early, catching congas long and curly, and I'm tall as not me equal in the land. the double shuffle and whenever there's a scuffle I am generally there to lend a hand Though I'm what they call it steady for a spree I'm always ready and a chalk has not me equal in the land For a tape like none is keener I can play the concertina and at Castletown they want me in the band As a singer I am clever, and at second you have never, no, you've never heard me equal in the land. In the land, yes, in the land, and for any mortal fingers in demand. As a singer, I am clever, and at second you have never, no, you've never heard me equal in the land. Sunday to the ranters, all the neighbours come in canters when I'm singing in the choir. Oh, it's grand! All the girls are there from Serbia, and I'm Towley come from Jerby, for they think there's not me equal in the land. There's a girl at Balahari who it's like I'll have to marry for. She's got a slug of money at her hand. If she's not exactly charming, well, at cooking and at farming, oh, you couldn't find her equal in the land. In the land, yes, in the land. And they say she couldn't be much better man. If she's not exactly charming, yet at cooking and at farming, oh, you couldn't find her equal in the land. In the land, yes, in the land. And they say she couldn't be much better man. If she's not exactly charming, yet at cooking and farming, well, you couldn't find her equal in the land. And that's all we have time for this week. I'll be back next Wednesday at half past five. But in the meantime, you can subscribe to Spotlight in the form of a weekly podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify or download them from the Manx Radio smartphone app or our website. Thank you for joining me. Have a lovely creative week. Sun you.